I think this is definitely going to be our new intro music. This is where we say something evocative about the show. And then the song gets kind of weird. So anyway, welcome, everybody. Sorry for the delay getting going. I think our illustrious co-host, Vin Janowski, is here. Yes, I kept expecting uh, some sort of echoey voice to emerge from that, that, that music. Some sort yeah, of it, and it doesn't. Approach. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to be careful what you wish for, though, Vin, because I could bring back your echoey voice from, uh, from the, for the drummers, you know, that they just sort of do what they're told. I think that's I think that's pipe band line of the year right there. <laughs> it was confirmed, I might add, for those of those of you who were present last week. Oh wow, you're you're playing that angle. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Um, yes, it does help if you turn on your speakers and so on and so forth. So so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to think what's new in the world. Uh, Oh yeah, I've definitely got one thing that's new in the world. We are beta testing a new a new feature of Dojo U, um, where uh, our members are you're able to book private online lessons with us. Um, and so, if anyone would happen to be in the mood to test that out and to get a lesson, um, you know, with us, that would be really cool. You could just go to the Dojo U website, and then um, along the tabs at the top, there's a button that says "Book a Private Lesson." Um, and we're trying that out. And what it does is you can select a time slot um, and you get email reminders and you get your link to sign into the lesson and, and it all happens automatically. Um, and then, uh, so if anyone would like to try that, that would be cool. Yeah, people are, people are debating intro music at this point. Maybe Stairway to Heaven would work for an intro. Well, what's cool about this intro now, as much as I, you know, have never been a Chicago Bulls fan, but I know... I think they use this intro music too. What's cool is it lasts about 30 seconds and then the rest of the song, while I'm sure is, uh, you know, very deep and meaningful, um, doesn't really have uh, as much shock value that we're going for. So then you can fade it out. You get a remix with some pipes in there. That's all. Start uh, messing around with it. Yeah, definitely. We could remix it. Well, we should remix it and we should put lots of, uh, you know, Lots of cool stuff in it. We could also, you know, pitch it down. We could play along. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that. There you go. <laughs> uh, which is actually kind of interesting that uh, that segue should just organically happen because um, today we are going to talk about uh, chord progressions, which is a big, scary, uh, I guess, two words that people uh, are fearful of in the bagpiping world, but really there's not a whole lot to it. Um, there's really not a whole lot to it. And a base, even a basic understanding, which, you know, um, and we have other composers out there. Like I know Adam's out there too. Um, I'm sure Adam would agree that even a basic understanding of chords and chord progressions, uh, will really helps you round out your musical knowledge and, and can make you uh, a better player. So, um, you know, and if Adam disagrees, you know, feel free to just not time. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, yeah, exactly. And I know, um, I remember when Mark Saul taught his class with us at Dojo U. Uh, he's, of course, the composer of uh, many famous pieces of music for the pipes, especially the Hellbound Train. 
um, it was really interesting to hear all of his ideas and sort of, you know, helped me validate my own ideas about composing and, and stuff like that. Sean Campbell says, chords, are there any books on Celtic guitar you would recommend? Uh, no, I don't really know of any. I'm sure maybe probably they exist, um, but unfortunately um, I'm like the equivalent of a Shriner band when it comes to uh, playing guitar. And I mean that in, in the most respectable way to anyone who's involved in the Shriner bands, other than to say, you know, um, my knowledge is somewhat basic. Um, how about it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I can see people are really focused on the topic here, and that's good. Um, <laughs> I I think that uh, I think I'll pass on that one. We're talking about possible intro lines that we could uh, remix. You spend an hour remixing it, figure out if we can find something workable. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm going to remix serious. I'm just going to show all you guys up. <clears throat> um, okay. Okay. So uh, let's see here. No, we don't need that yet. I wanted to talk a little bit about, no, we don't need that either. Wait for it. I think this is it. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, chords and chord progressions today. And basically, uh, I, I just want to get into some definitions of uh, some of the basic things. Yeah, like this is definite mumbo jumbo, but we're going to get into some definitions because I want to my the whole thing I want to get across today is chords are pretty basic and they are a key bit of knowledge that you need to decode what's going on. And it's not going it's not just going to allow us to have a better understanding of the music, but it'll also allow us to get into writing some harmonies, playing with other musicians and just general composing as well. All right, so um, so what is a chord? Well, a chord is basically here's the thing: a chord is what you know. Wikipedia says it's a set of three or more notes uh, that play simultaneously. Okay, that's what a chord is: three or more notes that are played simultaneously. Um, I would go so far as to say, really, and especially like is for simpler applications, you can have a chord that's only two notes. Like I think for a good utilitarian sort of working definition, it's just a chord is when two notes play at the same time. And Jonathan is saying, yeah, power chords are two notes, right? So uh, and and they definitely work. I mean, think about smoke on the what smoke on the water would sound like if it wasn't just the two note power chord. Yeah, exactly. So so uh, th that's basically what it is. And then. Um, you know, uh, there's a couple of things that that uh, that we have to get around as pipers. A couple of little workarounds. First of all, um, it's actually not possible for pipers to play chords, or for a piper to play a chord. Okay, can anyone uh, can anyone type in why that is? And then it's only it's sort of true, and then it's also sort of untrue. But generally speaking, right, it's impossible for us to create chords. All right. Um, and some people were saying the drones are a chord, too. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, if you do, if you think about the drones as part of it, then you could say, well, we're continuously creating chords of some kind because you always have the bass drone and then an octave higher. You have the two tenor drones and then um, an octave, give or take, a, you know, a few notes above that. You have whatever's going on on the chanter. So you could you could say there's continuously a chord going on. But as far as 
as far as our finger work is concerned, it's impossible for us to play chords. And then, David, you, you hit it on the head there, which is that we're only able to play one note at a time. Right. And then Ilian Pipers have regulators, uh, which allow the, you know, the drones and other, uh, you know, I don't really know nearly enough about uh, Ilian piping other than to say, yeah, they have regulators. And so they can make more interesting chords out of their drones uh, than pipers can. It's not totally static. But anyway, back to the finger work, okay? Because we only have one note at a time, it's not possible for us to play chords, okay? Which is to say it's not possible for us to play more than one note at one time. However, uh, one of the things that's true, and it's sort of, you can see in the Wikipedia definition, they talk about it a little bit, which is that the, the notes of a chord don't actually need to be played together, right? Arpe arpeggios may be understood as chords, all right? And as pipers, we definitely work with arpeggios, and anyone who's been through our tutor knows uh, that we do, uh, we do a lot of work working through arpeggios on the scale. And, and what the arpeggios are is we're basically just playing chords. We're combing through the notes of the chords, um, and that creates interesting sort of sound, uh, you know, sound worlds. So, um, for example, right, all of these notes that we comb through all of these arpeggios that we learn, okay, we're really, what we're doing is we're producing chords. And the notes happen in sequence, and so when the listener hears, what they're actually hearing is a cool chordal thing. Les, uh, Les says, Ken Eller has been teaching arpeggio theory for years. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really essential thing. I think a lot of the mainstream tutors kind of miss out on arpeggios. The, a lot of them end up sidetracked into pentatonic scales, which... Um, you know, obviously pentatonic scales exist, and they're interesting. Um, but I think generally, especially more modern uh, compositions, most of them are conceived um, through chord structures and not necessarily pentatonic scales. And then some of the older music uses pentatonic scales quite a bit. And then really, you know, uh, we're really sort of dealing with a couple of different things. Brooks says, and you can kind of make a chord by picking the right grace notes, right? Uh, no, okay? Grace notes have nothing to do with pitch. At least fundamentally, that's true. Okay, so uh, generally the grace notes we choose will have nothing to do with the, um, the you know, melody or chord notes that we're playing. For example, it doesn't matter what key we're in. We're always going to play a G grace note um, to designate the beat. Okay, unless the composer has made some sort of conscious decision otherwise. But you can kind of make a chord by picking the right melody notes. So that would be a true statement. Okay, and that's kind of what arpeggios are. All right, now, so I'm just going to separate this out. So the next thing is chords and sequences of chords are frequently used in modern music, modern Western music, pop music. Um, and then it's, it, Wikipedia lists some other styles. And then they're sort of absent from the music of many other parts of the world. A lot of parts of the world are, are sort of static. They play with a sort of static chord in mind. And I think it would be tempting to group the bagpipes into that because our drone is always static. 
Okay, but the way that uh, bagpiping has evolved over the past 50 years is, although the drone is going on, it's really just producing a nice texture um, that goes in an interesting way in a variety of keys in which we play. So, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Don't, don't uh, get too freaked out by any of that stuff. Okay, and so, uh, you know, we often play sequences and notes that comb through chords, and those are arpeggios. So that's the big thing. Um, now, granted, if me and Carl Carl and Vin play together, all right, we can create chords because now we have three things going on simultaneously, and that's what harmony is, right? We hear about harmony a lot or seconds. If you play in a pipe band, you hear about harmonies or seconds, and basically what we're doing there is we're taking two channers, two or three, and uh, we're playing different notes on purpose to create a cool uh, harmonic effect, all right? Everybody following me so far? Let's have a look at um, let's have a look at a couple of chords. All right. So here we are over here with my staff music, and I do apologize that um, my pen is not um, is not all that accurate here. But uh, let's have a look at a couple of chords. What's the most basic chord on the bagpipes? Do you think, or the most common chord? Does anyone know what it is? Anyone that's maybe a little bit ahead of us? What's the most common chord? Cool. Jonathan says A, C, E, otherwise known as the A major chord. But yeah, like we, and then the way that chord would look, if you played all three notes simultaneously, they would look like a little snowman, right? And so if it lets me draw my snowman here, here's one, here's two. There's my little snowman, okay? Can everyone see how I drew a note on the A line, the C line, and the E line? Okay, we're skipping a couple of technicalities today. Like, uh, we're also, it's important to note the uh, key signature that we're in as well, but we're not going to worry too much about that. This is just a very, um, this is very kind of like chord progressions for dummies here. So we're not going to worry too much about that stuff. But everyone see this little snowman that I made? By the way, the other thing is we're missing a note from this chord because we see that we have a low A down here. We've got a low A down at the bottom. Don't forget that the high A is also part of this chord if we want it to be. So the snowman can have a little hat up here. Okay, so if we take a tune like Scotland the Brave, right, um, which, um, let me see here, hold on. Let's have a quick look at Scott and the Brave, and we can see this chord in action. Okay, so we'll go, let me just bring up Scott and the Brave real quick. Uh, this should work. If we bring up Scott and the Brave, we'll see that um, that chord, we see that in action right off the bat. All right, and we'll zoom in a little bit. So look at the melody notes here in Scott and the Brave. It even, it, well, in this case, the E is actually part of it. It starts on this E. But look at the notes. We've got an A. We've got an A. Now, we do have a B here, but look how small it is. It's just a simple little tiny passing note. So we have A, A, C, A, C, E, high A, high A, high A, E, C, 
and A. Can everybody see how essentially every single note of that phrase belongs to that A chord that you guys were, were uh, pointing out there? Does everyone see and understand that? Let me know if you understand it so that we can move on. Cool. So are there other chords are there other chords that that we can play on the bagpipes? Well, let's have a look because the answer is definitely yes. Okay? So um let me just back up a little ways here. Um, we're going to back up a ways. Um, and so here's our A again. Now notice what we can do. Now, first of all, let's back up one note. Can we make a snowman starting on low G? And the answer is definitely yes, we can. It looks like that. Okay, and we can also include the high G, right? So there we have low G. Our low G... Um, Arpeggio is there. Our low A arpeggio is here. What if we made one with a B? Could we do that? Yes, we could. However, the thing about the B is that we really only have three notes. We can't add a high B on top because we, we don't have a high B as pipers. But we still have a B chord. All right, what about C? Sure we can. We have C, E, high G. We can make a little snowman there. We could also, uh, right, Bruce is Bruce says higher notes can also be included in inversions, and that's true. So if we included this high A, it might technically be called an inversion, but again, this is kind of chord progressions for dummies, so we're not going to worry about that because, in my opinion, inversions is more it's it's only important when you talk about really serious analysis of the music. It's not that important when it comes to just a basic understanding and feel for it. Uh, but Bruce, you're totally right there, though. That's a good observation. Check this one out. Here's our C one. So our C would have a C, an E, and a G. Now, granted, remember, for music theory geeks, that C is actually a C sharp. But we would have a C, an E, a high G. And there's actually another note we could play if we wanted to play the C chord, which is we could wrap this around and go down to our low G. Okay? So there is our, uh, our C. And then we have a D here, D, F, and high A. And then we wrap it around down to the low A as well. And this chord goes really well with that first low A chord that we played. Okay? And the interesting thing is, if we go back to Scotland the Brave, we can see that um, we have a very brief moment of that D chord being played in Scotland the Brave. So here's that D. And then over here, this was the A again. And this one would be D, F, A. Now we switch back to the A here for a second. Okay. 
And then uh, we could talk about what this chord is going to be a little bit later if we want to, but we'll probably skip it. That would actually be an E major chord. But the problem with the E major chord is that we're missing one of the notes. We're missing a G sharp. And so you'll notice there are no Gs here. Um, but uh, don't, don't worry too much about that. So we're going back to continue our, our quest here. All right, so there's our D chord. We actually have an E chord as well. We have E, high G. Now we don't have a high B, remember, but we do have a B we could wrap around below. And then we also have another low G, so there's our E chord. And this, this is so on and so forth, right? Uh, the last one is the F. And we've covered all the notes. So the F chord does exist, but we have to do some serious inverting, as Bruce was uh, saying earlier. So here we have our F, then we have to wrap the rest around. So we have A and C. And that's a very weird sounding chord, which generally is not really going to be used. So can everybody see how I, I created some interesting chords here um, by stacking up my snowmen, so to speak, these triads? And they, they all sound really nice together. if we were to play it together. I see Bruce is typing something. Just want to make sure there's not a question. The G doesn't need to be in the melody in order to play the block chord. Correct. That is correct. And it's a good thing that it doesn't need to be in there because if it did, right, we, we wouldn't be able to play it as pipers. It's one of the interesting things the, the other interesting thing, just as a sort of geeky side note, right, right, that's also why the grip is here in Scotland the Brave, right, because if you ever heard someone sing Scotland the Brave, da, 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 that little dip, that's actually a G sharp. And so the way pipers get around it is we just slam a low G-oriented movement in there because we don't have that note. Listen to how funny it would sound if I tried to just play the G. If I blow hard on the high G and bring it up to the sharpness, then that's the right note. Okay, but I cheated there. We can't really do that on the pipes. Sean says, is the chord structure you have here closely related to the key the tune is in? Uh, uh, Roger Kent spends a lot of time on this in his book. Yes, it absolutely does. So, for example, guys, um, if I took my, uh, now granted, disclaimer, I am a mediocre guitar player at best. But if I took my guitar and I played these chords, so if I had uh, A, so that's the first chord in the um, the first chord in Scotland Brave, right?
right? So if, if I knew a real guitar player, I could say, hey, let's jam Scott and the Brave together. Here are the chords. And I just figured it out. Now, granted, Scott and the Brave is a really common tune, but sometimes we have less common tunes, okay, that, uh, you know, that we'd like to play with other musicians. And it's actually pretty easy to find the chord progression, right? So Scott and the Brave is in the key of A major. Okay, which is actually problematic for Pipers because the dominant chord, which is the E major chord, doesn't actually uh, contain or uh, needs to contain a G sharp to complete the triad, but Pipers don't have a G sharp. We have a G natural. So slightly geeky moment there. And again, to get started, you really don't need to know any of that stuff. But, you know, uh, it also doesn't take long to pick up on it as you think more about it. So, Sean, hopefully that answers your question. All right, so let's have a look at a couple of other common tunes, right? So there's Scott and the Brave. I had another tune up earlier. You know, here's Meeting of the Waters, which is a, a fairly common tune here. And we can see, um, we can see here that we have a very definite um, chord structure. Now, Here's the thing that I, here's the next place we're going to go, is we're going to talk about chord progressions. All right, now, the, all a chord progression is, is it is the set of chords that we journey through uh, to complete a, a, a musical idea, or a, in this case, like a part of music, takes a journey along a chord progression. And, and so let's use Meeting of the Waters here, and maybe we'll find a nice chord progression uh, that's going to come out of this. What do you think? What what do you what are you seeing here? Da 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 ha da un, da da un, da. Like, let's have a look at the first bar here of Meeting of the Waters. Can anyone tell me uh, what chord this is using, and why um, and why you came to that conclusion? D, because it contains the notes D, F, and A. So that's perfect. All right, that's an excellent analysis. Can everybody see that? So I'll, I'll just take my green arrow temporarily. Oh, Vin is saying something to me privately. Put your little drawing back up. Uh, I will in a second. Uh, we can see it would actually be kind of interesting. Maybe we could layer it. What's this called? Blank manuscript PNG. So hold on. Could we put it back up? Uh, this might be moot. This might be kind of a, something that's not going to work. Uh, but here we go. But maybe we could do that. Uh, yeah, like it sort of works because it would be cool if we could see our little diagram as we were looking here. I'll let Carl work on that. But anyway, um, see now the meeting of the waters is so small that we can barely. Uh... All right, we got to put the other tune back up here, Carl. All right, so here we go with meeting of the waters. Now, we can see. 
with our arrow that we start with a nice low A. We have a D, a D, an F, and I really hate how my hand grabber thing is moving things. And we have a low A, a D. Now, granted, we do have some other notes like this one, but again, it's a really tiny passing note. So it's fair to assume, generally, that that's not going to be part of the chord. It's just going to be like a little melody connector, like a little connector note. You even have a seventh there with the C. Yeah, you do. And again, uh, you really don't want to analyze it too much because the C is really not part of the chord. If anything, this is a leading tone into the new chord that we're going to have in bar two. All right, so uh, for, those, uh, for those musically inclined people. Okay, so, but anyway, here we have, so we have our D, F, and A, otherwise known as a D major chord. But we have D, F, and A happening here. Okay, now what, what might you think about this next moment here? Because we're not in D major anymore. Why is that? Why aren't we in D major? Because we've got some new notes. So what chord would you call this? Any takers besides uh, Bruce? So Les says B. David says B. James says D minor. And then Tom and Adam are correct with G. It's a G chord, otherwise known as a G major chord. Look at how the notes of the chord are G, B, and D, right? So if you took those chords, right? And what I like to do is take those notes and pretend they're all stacked on top of each other, and then you get what you get, which in this case is G, B, and D, which is uh, G major, which is our G chord, G, B, and D. Right? So if we took Meeting of the Waters, right? Let me grab my guitar again. If we played some of these chords, right? Which is interesting because the B minor actually wouldn't sound that bad, but it's not quite correct. So if we take, you know, so the B, B minor sounds okay, but it's much better with the G. Right? So it sounds much better going down to the full G. By the way, I'm not playing an exact G chord here, but, uh, but you get the idea, right? Right, and all I'm doing there is going through the chords based on uh, what, this has, uh, what this has sort of shown us. Okay, so if we continued on, right? You can see this low A. I just know from musical experience that if this is a D chord, right, if everything's starting on the D, then it's very likely that we're going to see G and A chords also involved. So here's our G chord. And so I just know from musical experience that the A major chord is going to be what's sort of represented here with this low A. It takes a little bit of experience, right, to really get the right chords, but that's okay. Right? And then we're going to sort of conti continue here. Right? So this guy here, 
We're going to go back to the G. Okay. So on and so forth. Bruce says, in more traditional music, including piping, uh, the four chord is very common to follow the first. And that's definitely true, right? That's the, yep, the, the classical thing is the one, four, five. And what that means is, what one, four, five means, those are scale degrees. So if we start on D, right, that's the one, that's the root, that's the root, otherwise known as the one. So if we count up four notes from D, what do we get? So if we go D, one, two, three, four. Am I doing that right, Bruce? If I count up four notes, uh, we're going to get the, the A, right? And so we'll have the A chord as the fourth. And if we went up a fifth note, no, I got it wrong. So the fourth is actually the G chord in this case. Yeah, the D is one, the G is four, and the A is five, I believe. Yeah, F is three, G is four, and A is five. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. Um, and, and so that's a very common thing, right? Especially if you're in the major key, you're mo almost always going to be dealing with those one, four, and five chords, right? So if me in the water starts in D major, right, I can, I can be pretty sure that I'm going to be talking about using uh, G and A chords in some combination. And then it's also quite common that you'll drop down to the relative minor as well, which would be the B minor uh, is also a nice thing to drop in there, right? So if I play the progression, you know, meeting of the waters, that's my G, A. Now it would be tricky if I dropped to the minor. Right? So if I were to play um, if I were to play that sort of chord progression, you can hear how it, it all goes nicely together. And so there are some chords, right? There are some chords that go really nicely together with each other. Am I playing Dadgad? No, I'm not. Uh I don't know what I'm doing, really. Um, I'm just playing. Um, you can get a uh, you can get a really nice a, a nice simple way to travel around the D major scale. It's actually even better for me, and it keeps a D it keeps a D sort of droning on, right? So so here is my D. These two guys, right? So, um, and it's a really great way to just sort of easily move your way around. I use that, I use that pattern regularly when I'm writing harmonies and stuff because it sort of allows me to mess around with exactly what's happening. But no, it's not dadgad. I mean, it's, it's the basic notes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so um, I use my guitar a lot. I also use piano a lot, um, even though I never play the black notes. 
right? But the piano, if you can sort of think, and for me, it's just I just change, uh, I just work a note down. So if I work in C, right, I make C the equivalent of my D, and like G would be the equivalent of my low A, right? So I, I use that for composing a little bit too. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a hack, even though I have a music composition degree. You know, uh, we did, uh, you know, um, we did sort of different types of postmodernish type stuff for my degree. Um, and uh, there's another great piper named Matt Welch. He and I went through the same uh, undergrad program. So, uh, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff too. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so Vince says, what exactly do we need to know all this stuff for? Well, um, one of the things which you, you can see the application right away is whenever it comes to playing with other musicians, uh, this stuff is really important. And, and, um, even if it's just being able to identify the first chord of the tune, right? Even if, you know, then you can say to a guitar player, all right, this one's going to be in D. Now, granted, pipers have that whole tuning thing, which we need to be able to get around as well. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that um, in, a, in a second as well. And then the other thing is, right, the other thing is uh, writing harmonies is another important thing uh, as well. And, and, you know, the other thing that's really, really important is that once you start to mess around in the sandbox of chord progressions, it becomes much, much easier to learn tunes, to sort of feel and predict uh, where tunes are going, uh, and, uh, you know, just sort of, um, you know, and to just sort of get that feel for things, where things are going. Um, so, you know, if we can sort of see the tune in terms of progressions, then let's say you're sight reading or, or you know, just generally, if you can feel when that chord is about to shift, it also affects how you're going to express it a little bit as well. Wouldn't you say, Vin? Say that. I think, I think the prediction part of it is pretty key, I think, you know, in terms of sight reading and learning tunes. And once you get a feel for that, you definitely have, you know, you definitely know where, you know, you almost have a, a keen sense of what the tune is going to sound like even before you've actually played any of the notes, you know. Right, exactly. You're exactly right about that. And, um, Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk really briefly about writing harmonies, right? Uh, and, and again, it'll just be pretty brief. Let's say I have meeting of the waters here. All right, so here's our meeting of the waters. Let's say I wanted to write a harmony across this first set of brackets here. It, does anyone have any idea what notes would go really well uh, against, let's, let's take this first D, for example. If I wanted to write a harmony note on top of that first D, does anyone have any hunches what might sound really nice on top of that D? F would sound nice. What else might sound really nice? Let me ask you this. So F is two notes above D, so that would sound really, no, really nice. What if I played two notes below D? Would that B sound nice? Ah, see, Kevin took the bait. Kevin says B. But Brooke says, no, that's not going to sound nice, and you're totally correct. Right. Okay. So, uh, Kevin, here's why B doesn't sound good. It's not as simple as playing two notes above or two notes below. What it's really all about is uh, 
picking notes that belong to the chord that you're currently operating in, okay? If that makes any sense, Kevin. So B would actually sound really not right in this situation. As a matter of fact, if we had a B and a D and an F, that would be a B minor chord, okay, which uh, would sound really kind of yucky. Um, and, it's, and instead, we actually want to go three notes below D to play a low A, or we could even play a high A. But we've got options there. So if I'm going to write a harmony to Meeting of the Waters, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is chart out the chord progression I'm on because that's going to tell me what notes I can use to write my harmony with. Hey, Cara, come here for a second. Here's a, here's a really simple way to create, uh, to create a harmony. Okay, I'm going to have Carl over here. Can you play Meeting of the Waters? Probably. Probably. Uh, but one of the things I could do is I could just play, I'm just going to play one long sustained note right, um, along uh, meeting of the waters, and we're going to find that it sounds pretty notes. Right, two notes above or below is 101. Brooks, I actually disagree. I think two notes above and below is incorrect, right? It would be incorrect to put the B in there. Um, you know, I think 101 is figuring out the chord. But just for example, are we in tune? Yeah, close enough. So if, if uh, Carl is to play Meeting of the Waters and I were to just play a long note, right, um, we would find that the harmony sounds pretty nice. Right, so, so I'm just going to play random notes in this chord uh, and we'll find that it sounds pretty decent. Ready? One, two, and Nice job there, Carl. <laughs> so anyway, you could sort of hear how, and, and I didn't even bother writing something out that was tangible, but if I just sort of mess around playing um, notes of the chord, we can hear it's quite a harmo uh, harmonious combo there. Is everyone, everyone understanding and following that conceptually? Like, there's 38 people out there, and, and there's three or four of us that are chatting regularly, but... I want to make sure everyone's kind of kind of getting that because, um, and again, it's not it's not something you're going to get immediately, but it's something you can start to dabble in a little bit, right? Like if you have a buddy that you like to play with, um, yeah, try try a mapping out a chord progression and see how it sounds. Okay. What do you do with the low A at the end of phrase one? C and E both sounded bad. Okay, so um, Andrew says, what do you do with the low A at the end of phrase one? Well, to me, C and E sound sound good. They sound okay because it's that um, it's that sort of uh, fifth chord. Yeah, I think that's right. It's the fifth. And so it is going to sound, uh, you know, nice. So in my opinion, it sounded good. Uh, but if not, you're going to have to get creative. Are phrases assigned for chord locations? Um, that's a really good question. And the answer is 
Right. So Adam says you could go back to the root. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Adam. Would we jump into the fourth or would we go back to the root? Uh, and that's that's obviously an option. So we could play Ds and Fs on top of that low A if we wanted to go back to the root, uh, which is totally fine as well. Um, but our phrase is assigned for chord locations. The answer is yes, sometimes. It's certainly a good place to start. Um, and it just depends on how the tune is composed. In, in this case, right, if, if you consider that it's a two-bar phrase, or if you, you know, if you look at it as a two-bar phrase, we're actually covering two chords over the course of a phrase. So the answer is there's no way to know for sure, but yes, often uh, a new phrase is a, uh, um, is a good indicator. I don't know. Let's see if we have another common, I wonder if we have another common tune we could bring up. And the answer is, uh, let me search for one. What's a good one that's in the, like earlier we were looking at Patty's Leather Breeches. Yeah, let's look at this. Here's a cool arrangement that I did uh, for a band recently. Um, and the harmonies are actually written in. Whoops, it didn't like to bring that up. Let me try that again. Still not wanting to bring it up. All right, that's really kind of annoying. We'll try one more time and then I'm going to quit trying it. It should work. If harmonies are above the melody line, the melody line itself can be obscured if they overpower volume wise. Yeah, it's not wanting to load that PDF, so uh, we're going to have to skip it. Uh, and you're totally right there, Brooks, or no, Bruce, right? So we have to be careful with volume with pipers, right? So if two pipers are playing and they're roughly the same volume, we have to be careful that the, that the harmony isn't too overpowering. Now, with that said, I personally like really nice, crunchy, solid chords. I like lots of volume on the harmonies, um, but <clears throat> a lot of bands uh, will just have really small amounts. Now, a clever pipe band is going to vary the number of people playing harmonies depending on the intensity that they're going for. Okay, so Brooke says, what about when a mass band gets together to play Amazing Grace and their seconds and thirds are based on different chords? That's a good question. The answer is it's mass band, so I don't think anyone really has any idea what's going on. Right. So uh, and then, uh, yeah, people aren't generally well tuned to begin with. Um, but, yeah, I wonder what, you know, an interesting thing to think about is what is the chord progression of uh, Amazing Grace? That's something to look at. And there's a lot of possibilities there as well. All right. Cool, guys. Well, we're running out of time. Um, and so are there any questions about any of the stuff that we've covered here um, before we carry on here.
hopefully, um, you know, and I just kind of want to share that with you guys today. Uh, we, we talk about that quite a bit in various classes uh, at Dojo U. And so, you know, if you're interested in more of that, um, there's lots of that going on. Um, and otherwise, I think it's it's kind of interesting food for thought, right, to think about chords. Bagpipes are a lot more um, are a lot more westernized and um, straightforward than a lot of people assume that they are. A lot of people assume that they're kind of weird and out there. Um, that's the other thing to think about. Another reason people assume that we're weird and out there is that they assume because we don't tune well with other instruments, right? The bagpipes are significantly sharper than other notes at concert pitch, right? And a lot of people assume that bagpipes don't really jive, but that's not entirely true. For example, the average bagpipe chanter, okay, plays at about a semitone and a half above concert pitch. So if you try to play with a piano, it ain't going to work that well. Uh, meanwhile, if you have a digital piano, if the piano can be cranked up, right, just take the whole thing and crank it up a semitone and a half, which a lot of modern pianos can do. If you can do that, uh, then everything would be really well in tune. Granted, if you're a super music geek, you know the difference between uh, just temperament and equal temperament. Okay? But... Um, but meanwhile, and then when you're playing with a guitar or a fiddle, it just needs to be tuned up. Now, one thing a guitarist can do is they can take a capo and they can easily tune up, right? So this would take them up a whole semitone, okay? And then you would just have to sharpen up your strings about, you know, give or take half a semitone. Or you could also capo the second fret and tune down a little bit. Right? And then you're going to be able to get a guitar in tune with your bagpipes, if that makes sense. And that's one of the secrets as well. So, so I would say, okay, first of all, so when we play with the Aaron Harks band, for example, when Oren Moore plays with them, we say, okay, first of all, everybody's got to tune up to uh, such that a B flat reads 450 whatever on the tuner. Okay? And so they do that. So sure enough, everybody puts a capo on or they're able to just crank it up whatsoever. So, so the first step, first we got to get it. So your A equals the bagpipe A. All right. And then the next thing we need to do is talk about what chords, um, uh, what chords the music is in. Right. So um, the orchestral tune channels are getting more available and better quality. This is Adam Quinn. Uh, and, I, yeah, a lot of people are using the Shepherd Orchestral. McCallum has a pretty good B-flat chanter that I like to use, uh, and that's a great thing. Now, remember, even with the B-flat chanter, okay, that's only going to bring you down to B-flat, and we still want to talk in the language of A, right? We want to talk in our language. So you're still going to want, even with the B-flat chanter, tuned perfectly to concert pitch, right? Your guitarist is going to want to tune up a semitone. And then if you have a digital keyboard you want them to have that transposed up a semitone as well because then we can speak the same language. We can see, oh, oh, that's a D chord, and everyone knows uh, what's going on. Uh, you know, and say, same goes with other things. Yeah, uh, Bruce uses the B, the McCallum B flat. Yeah, the um, Scottish Power Pipe Band a couple of years ago 
played the most amazing concert with an orchestra, you know, easily the most amazing thing I've seen. Um, and it was, um, you know, it was all in B flat. I, I think, I think they were in B flat. I don't think they were all the way down to low A. Shepherd Orchestral plays at 466, not at 440. And then, uh, Sean, I believe that's correct. That's otherwise known as, right, B-flat would read 440 on the tuner, right? So it's actually one – it's still one semitone above concert pitch. However, it is zeroed into concert pitch, so it's possible for concert instruments to tune to us. Right. String instruments don't like to – no, no instruments like to think in the key of B-flat. It's not necessarily true, actually. Some people can do it, but it's just so much easier to think in those – in the more raw pitches. You know, pop music is almost, I wouldn't say almost always, but it's pop music is so regularly in the key of D or G or, uh, or A, right? Because those are the chords that are easiest to play on guitars. So pop music, which is really the background that the majority of people are at least familiar with, like to play in those chords, and that's why it's, it's important to sort of get into that language. But anyway, let's wrap it up there, guys, for today, and uh, we'll let you guys go. Brooks says, if you can get it to match with a capo, then at least guitar doesn't have to retune. Uh, Brooks, theoretically, that's correct, especially if you're playing an orchestral chanter. This is all too all right. much for a Wednesday, man. Vin, Vin, I think I fried your brain today. I've, I've just been talking too much. It's a... Uh, Today's episode has been brought to you by Espresso from Starbucks. <laughs> Where do I go for identifying pipes? I just picked up an older set today. That's a good question. Um, you got to find somebody that's into that. I know Ken Eller is. Uh, I think he he appraises older pipes. Yeah, Jim McGovery does that as well. You can probably send him pictures. Yeah. I'm completely like I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be controversial, but I'm completely not into that the older pipes thing. I'm just like, oh, I better, better, you know, ask Carl, and then he sort of tells me what he thinks. Cool. All right, guys. Well, we'll wrap it up there for today, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for kind of checking out some of our uh, a little bit of geekiness here, music geek. But I think it'll help you enjoy the music more. So. Uh, we'll see everybody next Wednesday. Take care.